following fast on the heels of Ultra Q, Subaraya Productions created a new show that would focus on their kaiju creations, this time in full color. What follows is a series that expanded the entire genre and exploded the small screen to gigantic proportions. This is Kaiju vs. History Ultraman. Welcome back to Kaiju vs. History. This is your Science Patrol Officer, Miles, and joining me in taming kaiju of all shapes and sizes is my co-host, Patrick. Patrick, how are you doing this week? Yata, let's go. <laughs> I'm, I'm doing quite well, quite well. And I'm excited to do a little special episode about some more kaiju television. Season yeah, 1 I'm, of Ultraman. I'm very 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 pumped ultraman as we mentioned in our ultra q episode and this will probably be a little bit shorter than that even because we were kind of gushing on i think the legacy for ultra q also gets a bump because of the legacy of ultraman but we had to kind of talk about the fact that without ultra q you don't get ultraman this this show is largely responsible for the explosion of the tokusatsu genre as a superhero television genre oh yeah it's certainly responsible for <laughs> 50 years of Ultraman shows. And it's also responsible, I would, I would say for the Super Sentai franchise. Oh, yeah. Which certainly then birthed Power Rangers. Ultraman, I think I, I mentioned this a few weeks ago. My first interaction with Ultraman was the Super Nintendo fighting game that, that was localized here. Mm. And. I remember always wanting to watch it because I remember I asked, like, I think maybe it was the clerk at a, at the store. I was like, what is this? And he was happened to be a nerd. He's like, Oh, this is a Japanese superhero show. Yep. That's, and that's, that's how I've had it explained to me when I found out about Ultraman like 20 years ago. I know I found something. I feel like I found some rogue VHS is at a blockbuster or a pick a flick or a Hollywood. No, what Hollywood video. But it's certainly one of the, it was either a local mom and pop place or mm -hmm. a blockbuster where I found like just an, a random VHS that had a couple of episodes. But I always, and it wasn't until I was a, you know, a teenager and had access to uh, a much more centralized internet where you can kind of get a little bit more of that history and that, oh, there's a whole thing. They still make Ultraman today. And they do. Yeah. So. With combining all of those shows, it's got over a thousand episodes of television, over yeah. 20 movies and specials. I mean, I, Patrick told me we can only do a single episode to talk about Ultraman. So <laughs> I this didn't is say all we're going to single episode. <laughs> I said, well, I wanted to focus definitely on season one here. But I, uh, I will because their joke was it, we could we could easily do an entire podcast in the Ultra franchise. Oh, which, my goodness. I mean, know. Even if you did just like an episode per season, per special, that kind of thing. Yeah, you could do an entire podcast uh, about. I mean, about if you did a watch through podcast, well, it's you, so, you, yeah, it's so hard years because years of content. Some. Oh, my goodness. Some seasons are 40 plus episodes. So I don't know. Even if you, <laughs> if I, you I broke would, it up, I, you know, I would do what I would do is I would I wouldn't do it episode by episode because I think that's an insane project. But. Yeah. I would do like 
five or six in one. So you like, you take a, a month almost to spend on a single season or two months to do a, a, a larger one. And that way you can kind of, you still have a lengthy podcast and you can trudge along. And then obviously you have the movies and the specials and the crossovers with Common Rider and all that stuff. And for the most part throughout his history, the ultra heroes sit at least share for the most part a, a similar look. Yeah. Yeah. Well, they're, they're all the same alien race from, from outer space. But for the most part, yeah, they're, they're different kind of characters coming to, to earth. And I was very surprised because Super Sentai and Kamen Rider are not this way. For the most part, the entirety of like Ultraman is like one shared universe. I think there are some like bifurcations of that as I was reading, but Shin Hayata, the, the first Ultraman we're going to talk about in this season shows up in shows for like the next 30 years as, as a character and the, the most recent Netflix animated series. Mm-hmm. He's, he's a character in that. So it is, is a world that they keep going back to. It, yes. It, it, it's hard to describe like what Ultraman is to Japan without saying like, Think about Superman or Spider-Man here in the United States. Ultraman is that basically is that like level of superhero. Oh, ab- absolutely. And and this year we are getting a, a brand new interpretation of the original Ultraman. Thanks to creator Hideki Anno, creator of Evangelion and director, mm-hmm. uh, co-director of Shin Godzilla. We are getting Shin Ultraman, which by the time this podcast releases, I believe will have released in Japan. I believe the release date is still May 15th. Yes. And at podcast date, we got a new teaser trailer this week, which I just cannot wait for. Mm-hmm. It, it feels like uh, some very throwback, very classic elements of what made the, the TV show very popular. The original and TV show. And- I also love that this is also, and I hope that they somehow tie everything together in the Shin series that Ano is doing because he is immediately jumping from this and is currently directing Shin Kamen Rider. So please give us like a, a, a shared Ano universe of the Shin heroes because I would love like Kamen Rider and Ultraman to like have to like take on Shin Godzilla. Mm-hmm. Yeah, he 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 worked on the 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 Gamera trilogy, so this is like a pedigree of films that I would like to see continue with uh, Higuchi at the the helm. You know, yeah, and so the the Sentai series is a whole other conversation. Some of it is tied together, some of it is not. This is not a Super Sentai podcast, much to my chagrin. So I'm not going to bore you with the details on on that. But yes, it is a weird shared universe. And, you know, since we're only doing an episode to talk about Ultraman, I oh, guess. Oh, yeah. One episode of this podcast. Yes. Well, for now. Um, well, well, part of that I just want to explain is we don't have access, I think, in in the, the West to all of Ultraman. Right now, we are unfortunately, getting all of it. Yes, yeah. So it's uh, you have access to a lot of the sixties and seventies Ultraman right now, which is really good stuff. And if you, you are, are also if you're looking, simultaneously re- releasing the newer stuff too, 
yeah, so we have access to like some new stuff, a lot of the old stuff, and then a lot of the things from uh, the nineties and early two thousands. I think you're you are reliant upon fan translations and things like that unfortunately and and nothing concrete it's the same way about common writer a lot of common writer we are still hopefully getting something so i know we yeah. we finally got some wet localized youtube content but <laughs> I, I think shout has access to the original common writer but the showa era common writer yeah yeah i i i definitely need someone to to get on releasing some some fancy ones but if you're an ultraman fan you're in luck mill creek has been doing the lord's work in the releases they've been slowly going through the original stuff and also releasing some of the newer stuff like yeah. ultraman gaia and dinah and taiga that's um, why, why we're able to do ultra q and why we're able to do ultraman so easily and yes. i would love to talk about the other seasons because i actually like ultra seven Maybe a little bit better than, than Ultraman, which I'll talk about, but yes, it, it is more of the same, you know? <laughs> so we don't need to dissect like 40 plus episodes of, of each of those, those shows or a thousand episodes not, to really, that attitude we can't, but <laughs> to, to, to get the feeling for what this is to get on. As, as I said, we will we'll try to make this a little bit shorter. Patrick, take us into what's in a title for Ultraman. Yeah, it's a compound name. Ultra, of course, is uh, like a prefix. And, and we mentioned it in the Ultra Q episode. It was a popular gymnastics move from the 64 Olympics, the, the Ultra C or something like that. And that's where the Ultra Q name came from and tying it into this Ultraman just feels like it fits. You know, it's a very Superman kind of thing. Orotoro Man is the, the, I think the literal Japanese name and uh his his name is a is like a superhero name uh mm -hmm. in, in the japanese characters a shoujin and yeah this does take place in the same universe as ultra q as we see some aliens i think kind of make repeat visits well, to to earth not only but, that the opening the opening part of the show is, is still the ultra q kind of title card yeah yeah i mean if it ain't broke don't fix it. no i loved it because you get that and then you get the super fun ultraman theme song well yes the, there's there's differences the american one is so dumb and catchy i love it and they they have a very similar one for, for the american version of of ultraman. i don't remember the american one i watched the the japanese one on tubi um, oh yeah they're they're both great though <laughs> which is based I, off the mill creek releases which just as an ultra q has been gorgeously restored it's it's mm -hmm. insane how good they they have the for these transfers i'm i'm still shocked we get like actual releases that look as good as they do because well, they are just gorgeous I, I do recommend if you do pick up the blu-ray go ahead and and watch some of what was online before that some of the you know like tv transfers or, or whatever mm -hmm. they had for the american translations and then go watch the blu-ray yeah they are they're well worth like i mean I, I bought mine on sale for like 10 bucks you know for for like a season of the show so it's it's definitely worth it especially if you can find it on sale uh let's talk about the show the series sets up are an alien coming to earth killing science patrol officer shin hayata in a crash and then merging with him to save his life which i don't really understand in this show like what what exactly that transfer looks like is he 
Ultraman or is Ultraman a part of his consciousness in this show? Because in later shows, it does change where I, I think they purposely just don't worry about it. <laughs> yeah, exactly. He transforms into Ultraman, but I don't think Shin's when he's in like giant form. I don't think Shin's mind is there. At least we don't see a lot. We is played by a different suit actor from, and everything. From what I watched, because Ultraman doesn't really do a whole lot other than wrestle. Yeah, this show just doesn't tell us we don't have the information if that's what you want to believe that's fine if you want to believe that it's shin that's also fine it doesn't matter yeah they're i think they're merged together so it is kind of like a, a bruce banner hulk kind of thing yeah and honestly the the marvel comic is a really really good job mm. um, and it's it's not shocking at all that kyle higgins um when creating his own series i know you weren't as big a fan of the the radiant black series Mm-hmm. I mean, completely blends the work he did on Power Rangers with the work he was doing on Ultraman because it combines both those two concepts where you are married with an alien consciousness, but you also have a team of colored heroes. Oh, yeah. And there's a so, little, like, but, but the Marvel comic does a really good job of exploring the alien side of Ultraman. And unfortunately, I haven't watched as much of the Ultra franchise as I would have liked to because it's not been really until recently that it's been easier to get a hold of this stuff legally and in decent quality. Yeah. So I, I, well, I was joking about a, uh, a Patreon, but <laughs> maybe some entire podcast of it. Yeah. Uh, yeah. I, if, if I ever get the time, I would, I would, I would totally do an Ultra cast. <laughs> yeah. If, if the entire, uh, 1,000 plus episodes are ever officially released, and Miles and I have the time, and <laughs> a million people give us money to watch <laughs> all the episodes. Well, it's not even that we have to watch all the episodes. I just want to experience all the different no. iterations of Watch of them all, Miles. Oh, boy. I, um, I do want to dig into to more of the seasons beyond Ultra 7 and things, because, well, like especially I said... Especially the, the tele- once television writing is taken more seriously, and you have some real character mm-hmm. arcs, which just is, isn't present here. I think that it, the, the, yeah, the capacity for it to become really compelling television is exponential. Mm-hmm. Um, because this, this is not just a fundamental and influential kaiju series. This popularized an entire universe. Yeah. Of, well, and, and it's what the main reason we're talking about Ultraman is it retroactively affects a lot of the movies, even. Godzilla movies, you know? Oh, yeah. I mean, we're, look, we're gonna, we're our gonna boy Jet Jaguar is an Ultraman ripoff. Oh, I mean, well, yeah. beyond that, oh, there's also Toho uh, tries its its own hand at uh, television with a oh, zone, zone fighter. fighter? Yeah. yeah. That's a but, real ripoff. I mean, it's rip-off. not just that, but like it, it without that. So you may or may not know this about me. One of my favorite anime teams is Science Ninja Team Gotcha Man. I have a giant Alex Ross poster behind right. me of the, of the G-Force. Uh, that he did when Image was doing the Battle Planet comics. And yeah, without Ultraman and the Ultra franchise, I don't think you have that. You certainly don't have Super Sentai or Kamen Rider. Mm-hmm. Not that I don't think that these this type of genre would have never existed if it weren't for Ultra. Someone had to do it. But it's still the fact remains without this as the catalyst, you don't have a large portion of the television superhero stories. And this was the first on tv oh yeah and Subarai just was way ahead of his time for Mm -hmm. for that as well the the fact that this came so fast on the heels of of ultra q and they did so well with it you know they were were pumping them out uh to to get back to talking about what the show is about 
We've got the Science Special Search Party, the SSSP, a.k.a. in the English dub, it's just called Science Patrol, which is a great name. Mm-hmm. It is the body in charge of investigating scientific happenings, mostly giant monsters around Japan, but it's also like a worldwide organization. We've got uh, Toshia Morimatsu as the the lead of this division. He's aided by uh, Daisuke Arashi. Akiko Fuji plays the the, the female officer. We've, we've got a young kid who eventually becomes part of the core in uh, Isamu uh, Hoshimo. And then you've got a comic relief and my favorite character, uh, Mitsure Ide. So that, that's the <laughs> Ide, team. Ide is pretty great. That, that's the team. And it is nice. That's, it's one thing I think I, I wanted. I wanted the same characters in Ultra Q to come back over and over. And, and that's, they're not in every episode, but these guys are in just about every episode of, of Ultra yes. Man. And of course, Shin Hayata, who I mentioned earlier. But yeah, this is, it's not the first kaiju television series uh, th- there are some lost ones i think we, we talked a little bit about marine kong but this is like you said the most influential <laughs> thing that japan television put on in the 60s for sure really nothing it, like this on the planet <laughs> when when Tsuburaya managed to put this out yeah and i mean the what, what you love about ultra q just imagine, okay, you like science fiction and monster stories. Awesome. We're going to do the same thing, but we're going to tell you superhero stories, basically. Like Patrick, you said this at the top of the show. It's their Superman. And it's 100% framed like Superman. Like, it's framed like a Clark Kent Superman type of situation. Even the way he, like, excuses himself to, like, go turn into Ultraman. <laughs> uh, when Shin's like, oh, I'm going to, you take you take the boy. I'm going to go run after this thing. And... <laughs> And yes. he pops up the, the beta capsule and return, turns into Ultraman. Yeah, there's there's a lot of scenes like that. It's like, how do I transform without everyone knowing? Or, oh, look, I've got to go over here now. <laughs> you are correct. I yeah, I'm I'm a I'm a massive massive fan of this. And so let's talk a little bit about the the kaiju aspect of this show because there's some really like I said uh, like Ultra Q. And like we were talking about last week with Dae, this one has a lot more wild designs. And oh, yeah, I really, really love it. For some reason, it seems like in the TV versions of these kaiju, they really love those open mouth like monsters, like these like weird Joker smiles and some of these creatures. Yeah, which would kind of become the style you'll you'll see that in a lot of super sentai uh monster oh, designs. Uh, i was i was specifically it, thinking of, of some of the super sentai monsters or some of the power ranger villains um, definitely. specifically i'm trying yeah. to remember uh, what the the creature was uh was it piranha's head i think mm-hmm. um who was the one that was i think lord zed's first monster we we, we talked about how in the ultra q episode they reused very famous monsters from the toho monster series from godzilla including godzilla godzilla was gomez in ultra q's first episode and became uh gyras in Ultraman, who will be a, a reoccurring monster baragon uh, th- there are stories of them literally suiting up and then spray painting the <laughs> the same costume over and over again while an actor is in the suit to to make a deadline for for a monster 
y- you get a psychedelic monster in the form of uh, uh, Django. Did you get to the Django episode where there's like a wishing object, like a wishing <laughs> stone, yeah. and, and somehow this bad guy wishes for the weirdest looking monster I've I've ever seen. He's got. Uh, well, I guess it's, he's not the weirdest looking, but he's kind of Gigan esque. He's got like a few robotic parts. He's got like little robot clamper hands, and his ears also are like antenna that <laughs> rotate around. And he's like super colorful and busy. He's, he's one of the most interesting designs. But yeah, you get a lot of bipedal, a lot of quadrupedal monsters in in this first season's run, and. Yeah, even we, we get some some cool instances, which I'm sure they'll do again. But the science patrol officer, Akiko, becomes embiggened in an episode. And it's so fun to watch just a regular human actor kind of walk around those those huge city sets and, and things that they used. Oh, yeah. Lots lots of variety in in the the suit mation. Um, but yeah, we get very famous Japanese. Japanese uh, Godzilla suit actor Haru Nakajima as a host of the the monsters in this show, and he is often well uh, in this season he is across from Satoshi Furuya, who is also known as Ben B I N, who took over the the role of Ultraman, like we just transformed and. You you mentioned his his wrestling moves, Miles. You're a big <laughs> wrestling fan. What what do you think of Ultraman's move set? So I mean, it was definitely awkward and fumbling because I definitely want to see more of of that. And having a human humanoid character doing that is is fun. There there was a couple of things where I'm like, oh, it's pretty cool that they did this. It's we have not yet gotten to a spot where I'm I'm that impressed um, because <laughs> I I, I want to see full on like creature and creature or Ultraman and creature like I, I want to see the main event I want I want to see some 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 wrestling I've just watched AEW's Battle of the Belts before mm-hmm. logging on tonight so <laughs> I I it's fun but like more. when people when people are like, oh, yeah, it's just like wrestling. And then like, having just watched some wrestling, I was like, mm, not quite. But we're getting there. It's it's certainly more impressive than some of the stuff we've seen before. So, Furuya, Ben Furuya, you have seen many times in, in Kaiju Moves. I'll talk about that. But as a background character. So, he's front and center as the suitmation for Ultraman. But he's a tall, thin guy. And he, he studied tap dancing and karate and made... Helps to make up the uh, the shoe watch pose at home, which I think th- there are stories of Subaraya coming up with that because uh, he was an ardent Christian. You know the the T pose with the the hands that shoots the the beam. That's uh, so fascinating, Ultraman. But yeah, supposedly because his suit was like just extremely thin layer of like a, a rubber like material. That first one, yeah, he always was getting hurt in one way or another in these wrestling scenes. He's often, you know, well, jumping around and rolling. Yeah. You definitely see that, that, that the suit actors are a little bit more physical than we've seen in other Kaiju uh, films in the past, especially versus films. And that's, I think also what helps give it such a leg up because not only are you getting this on TV, but the, the battles are, are pretty down and dirty. I mean, there, there are some where like Ultraman is just basically like, headbutting and like spearing these guys mm-hmm. or just like diving into their chest like he's not really just posing and doing 
uh, pantomime karate he's he's really like sh- like they're grappling each other and it's it's mm-hmm. really fun to watch yeah they didn't want to just be like japanese martial arts because they wanted it to look like an alien from outer space so there's like greco roaming uh roman wrestling moves that they throw in there some some very classical kind of wrestling maneuvers that he'll do with these monsters he'll try to like jump on their back get like chokeholds off and things like that but yeah it it, it works for the most part I, I would say they look a little mundane i guess they, to us but i think they to japan do. they would they would look very foreign you well know? and also in 1966 it's going to look a lot more impressive and that, that was one thing mm-hmm. again that i was thinking about while watching this you know we're watching this in the highest possible definition on you know 60 plus inch tvs and that was not the case in 1966 <laughs> yeah it's, it's uh, hard you, you certainly weren't watching on 60 inch tvs and you certainly weren't watching it in the highest possible definition so mm-hmm. i can't imagine like how like you know we can kind of critique some of these special moves. effects and and moves and everything because we're watching this the way they were not supposed to be watched really mm-hmm. and well, yeah, it's definitely it shows how much more impressive these things are. Definitely very different for television versus movies from from back then. But yeah, I was surprised that the the quality on those Blu-rays was as good as they were. Yeah. Uh, uh, b- back to Ben, like I said, we've seen him on a lot of movies as background characters. He was a dancer in in on Infant Island and Mothra. He's in King Kong versus Godzilla, I think, and in, in, on the island as well. Atricon, Gorath, Tagore, Ghidorah, Three-Headed Monster, Frankenstein, Conquest of the World, and one of the most recently, Zillions. He was one of the alien Zillions nice. uh, in Invasion of Astro Monster. At the time of this recording, I'm very happy to say he is still alive and kicking at the age of 78. And I think the day after this episode airs, it's his birthday. So <laughs> yeah, remind that is awesome. Remind me to put that out on our social media when when that happens. This show is when this episode comes out is coming up on its 56th anniversary. The first episode came out July 17th of 1966. I think we're we're just getting into July with this episode. So did did you notice any other? cast or crew that you wanted to to point out to that you were very impressed with with the show miles um i'm not gonna lie i more so especially than ultra q really was impressed by the kid oh yeah yeah he he's featured in a lot of the episodes and he's he's not annoying you know he's well, not I mean, cloying he, or, he's, he also he's, reminds uh, me of like the kid from like mothra he's got a red cap as 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 you do but he's i mean he he does fulfill that kid role, especially a kid role you'll see in a lot of like seventies adventure cartoons. Like I wouldn't call him like Johnny Quest, but like, and I'm also not sure, at least from the episodes that I watched, why this kid is here. Yeah, he he helps them out, but like, Maybe. why is he there? Because in the official thing, he's like, oh, he's the science patrol's unofficial mascot. Okay, first of all, what? Yeah, you know, like he just keeps children as mascots. And I know the the English dub says that he's Fuji's brother, but that's neither here nor there because oh, that, not, you know, not in the original. Yeah, exactly. Believe. He's just this kid. I mean, it's very Johnny Questy. Like he just kind of hangs out. And this would be something that happens in a lot of eighties and nineties cartoons, specifically ones by Hanna Barbera. I, but I thought, yeah, he's intrepid. He's fun. He's smart. Like the kid knows his stuff. Mm-hmm. Um, I love in what was it? Uh, Science Patrol move out where he just yoinks that little ray gun 
<laughs> yes. And then just kind of like sneaks onto the plane. And I, but for whatever reason, though, because they characterize him as a kid who one knows his stuff and, and is of a certain constitution, like he, yeah, he's not this annoying child. And even when he's zapping the monster, like he blinds it, he blasts an eye out. <laughs> yeah, no, he, he's more effective than. <laughs> In the E Day in some in some episodes, which they in the course of the season do make him an official member of the Science Patrol, which is adorable. He gets his own little orange jumpsuit. But um, uh, I, 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 I really liked Hoshino. I thought he was a, a really good character and a kid character, surprisingly done well for the time. Yes, yeah, and I think you know he's one of those major selling points. It's why kids really flock to this TV show? They can see themselves helping out Science Patrol, helping out Shin Hayata, by the way, who's played by uh, Susume Kurube, and we saw him in Ghidra, the three-headed monster, as <laughs> billed as mustachioed assassin. He's he's try- trying to take out the princess in in that movie, which is hilarious. Uh, did but- did you get to the episode with Akihiko Harata? I did not. Dr. Uh, Serizawa himself is in an episode playing Dr. Uh, Iwamoto, who's like a visiting advisor to the group. And yeah, obviously there's a, there's going to be a lot of play between Toho and, and Super Eye Productions. At For sure. Time. And yeah. of the 39 episodes, unfortunately, Hoshino does not show up in the series after episode 25 because Akihide Suzawa suffered a leg injury during a seeking accident and oh. was not available to film. And I don't think this is a character that shows up again. I, I kind of thought that oh, no, he would no, he's have a, a counterpart in, you know, a future movie or something, but yeah, he never, sh- he never pops back up, which is to honestly a bummer. <laughs> yeah. 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 There, there's not a lot to compare this show to before. That, that came before this. Like I said, this is closest to the creation of a, a superhero in Japan. We did have Hank Pym in Marvel Comics grow into to massive size. So that kind of hero that, you know, starts our size and then gets big. It's that happened in so funny that you say that just Patrick? a few years earlier. Yeah. Because in, in talking about the, the legacy of Ultraman, they talked about how the look of, of Peyton Reed, the director of Ant-Man, said that Ant-Man's costume design was influenced by Ultraman. Yes, and rightly so, because it's it's very, very classic, you know, kind of look. That helmet especially, I can I can see them wanting to go back to you and it's it's a bug like helmet, you know, the the original Ultraman, the big eyes. Mm-hmm. There was actually, I think, a couple of different suits that they use for this first season. I, I I've looked at videos explaining the differences between them. I can barely tell there's, there's some, I feel like the eye slits are a little more noticeable because <laughs> Ben Faria was having to see like seeing out of that thing. Yeah. It, so, and you can they, tell some of them like soldered and messed with a little bit. Yes. Yeah. And as the season goes on, you can tell like cracks, begin to appear in the the suit itself and make that like once you said again it's because we're only seeing the high definition version of this that you can really yeah, yeah you, that, you would have not have seen this on tv in 1966 i don't think it would have been as noticeable uh yeah but i mean hank pym is 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 a, a western version of of this growing superhero but also this is green lantern as well because we have like an interstellar 
like peacekeeping core, you know, looking to fight monsters and in, in, in this case, keep Earth safe. So there, there's a lot all wrapped up in, in this one show. And obviously a lot that comes after it is very influenced by it. And I'm sure we'll talk about with Kaiju films when we get to see more of Ultraman's influence kind of take over. I'm surprised we didn't get just more outright copies of the science patrol <laughs> as, as a, as an idea in general. We, we get I mean, some, we do get stuff. I mean, I, even though it was lampooned later by this one, but you get stuff like C lab and <laughs> stuff like that. I mean, but, but you do have that or Johnny quest. You do have yeah. some science adventurers being celebrated as a result. And, you know, I, yeah, I, 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 I am, I am, I am agreeing, agreeing with you though. I, I'm surprised it wasn't more prevalent. It seems to happen a lot more in the Japanese television shows than it did in a lot of the American television shows. Mm-hmm. But I mean, its influence is, is certainly felt. And we're, and we're going to talk about that in just a moment. If I have to kind of slag this show for anything, it's that. It is a lot of rinse repeat. This is a very, like Ultra Q, it's a very streamlined show. It's introduce the monster, have a slight variation in a problem that's caused by the monster that somehow, uh, gets one of the science team in trouble. Shin becomes Ultraman, wrestles with it, and then blasts it. The Mm -hmm. end. And there's nothing wrong with having a formula. Again, what, what makes future seasons more enjoyable is there is a lot more development in some of these characters. There's a lot more care and taken in some of the, the stories and the monsters themselves. It's not as cut and paste. That said, this is also very much like the Silver Age comics you'd read this at the time. I mean, it, they were wild science fiction adventures. If you want, if you read a Superman comic from this era, it's very much in the same vein. Mm-hmm. Yeah. It, it's very much in of episode kind of reset storytelling mm-hmm. And for the most part, I think that works for weekly television where your primary audience is kids. Obviously, certainly. It, I mean, when you have like 40 to 50 episodes in a season, I don't think you can expect them also to watch every one. But you still in this first season get return monsters and return plots that they they will revisit like, oh, this monster is back. <laughs> Pigmon <laughs> is right. Uh, is is a, and, and I mean, it's a certainly, case of that. It's certainly a storytelling convention in superhero television that lasted well into the '90s and early 2000s. I mean, it's not really until the last 20 years that we, on you know, in a regular fashion, get ongoing story arcs. And mm-hmm. I mean, because Power Rangers were the same way. Yeah, you had a couple of multi-part things that made changes to the show, but. By and large, those first, you know, 45 episodes, it's the same thing every week until you get to the Green Ranger saga. Yep. Yeah. No, you're right. And this feels very similar. It's like very similar, disparate episodes. And then eventually they'll start bringing some back. And I think the series are like that as well. We'll talk about the, the legacy you mentioned. They continue to make shows, not every year, of course, but they continued on series. It's, it's with, close uh, to every year. A brief pause here and there to when they kind of like rebooted things but is a phenomenon that just prevailed (laughs) they had yeah they did have kind of a doctor who like pause after ultraman 80 which kind of ends the showa era and then it wasn't really until i want to say ultraman towards the future maybe that 
you get a regular show again every year and I think have ever since. Um, yes. You still have <laughs> some track. Of. Oh, I know. I know you still have a couple of, of movies that, that, that occur in the eighties, but for them, and you do have the ultra Q reboot movie that happens in 1990. But in terms of the actual shows, it's Ultraman and then Ultraman towards the future, which kind of brings it back. And I feel like now you've had it every year ever since, including a, a globally released uh, Netflix anime. Yeah. Which <sighs> just dropped its second season. I, unbeknownst I know. to me. <laughs> I, I, I just saw it when I turned on Netflix uh, the other day. Right. So, I mean, huge, huge legacy. Like I said, it will affect the uh, Godzilla. <laughs> it will exceed Godzilla in, in popularity eventually, but it will affect the Godzilla series to where it will try, Toho will try to do its own version. Mm-hmm. Yeah, because of that, we get, I mean, most of the, the Henshin genre of television you know super sentai common writer everything in between hundreds of imitators for this season we're not going to do a full rating for this because this isn't uh really fair to to rate this against some of the movies that we've been doing on this show but i enjoyed the season a great deal i, I think i liked it a little bit less than ultra q just because of the novelty of ultra q and i kind of knew what i was getting into with Ultraman. and i do enjoy like i said ultraman 7 and what little I've seen of Return of Ultraman a bit more. So yeah, I, for personal enjoyment, this is an 8 out of 10 for me. It's it's so kitschy. It's so 60s. It's definitely very watchable, though. <laughs> uh, yeah, how, how I'm, 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 I'm in the same way. I give it an 8 out of 10. This is, I mean, it's like reading old Batman Superman comics. It's, yep. It is classic, unfiltered superhero stories. And if you can digest those uh, comfortably, then you will have the best time because this show is a blast. Yes, you don't get in-depth storytelling, but this is not the time for that. This is not what they were doing at the time. And any expectation outside of that, especially if you've like been watching some of the modern ones the last 30 years, you might be a little disappointed. But as a academic and historical venture, I think it's well worth looking into Ultraman just seeing the birth of color superhero television. And it's a lot of fun. And I, the same for me with the technical aspect. I give it an 8 out of 10. I mean, yes. <laughs> We're not doing a full review, Miles. <laughs> I, not doing a full review. Yes. I really like a lot of the special effects. I, I like a lot of the models. I think the the monster designs are amazing. Krista watched this with me. She loved the little lobster creature in the second episode with the little claws. And then, I mean... I know we're not doing the whole thing, but if, if, if I were to give the legacy a score, it would be a 10. Oh my goodness. We j- you just reviewed the entire series. Yeah, I did fully reti- entire series that, that brings well, you to like be- a nine. Yeah. Well, because I mean, think about the, the legacy. This has had American iterations. You've had animated oh, goodness specials. Gracious. This is off the charts legacy. <laughs> you have, I mean, and, and even if you look at the, the Wikipedia, they have a whole section on the legacy of Ultraman. I mean, manga author Akira Toriyama, creator of Dragon Ball, says mm-hmm. it's a formative influence on his work. Game designer Hideki uh, Kamiya from Capcom, who designed games like Resident Evil 2, Devil May Cry, Beautiful Joe, Akami, Bayonetta, said that Ultraman was a massive influence. Marvel, at the height of their current popularity, has been putting out an Ultraman comic since 2019. Mm-hmm. And the the actual manga has sold like I think 3 million copies 
you know, the manga that, that came out several years ago that the anime is based on, which, yes, a very popular Netflix anime based on Ultraman is out. It's a very, very popular figure collection worldwide. I believe the number for, as of March 2021, 101.87 Ultraman soft final figures since 1983 have been sold. Yeah. I, I will say in in parodies and in homages and Western references to Japanese sci-fi, if they're not going to Godzilla or Kaiju in general, they go to Ultraman. They, yeah, they go 100%. to the space hero with that kind of costume. You know, he is the second go-to, I would say, today. But like I said, during the time, Ultraman all, uh, surpassed Godzilla. You know, they stopped making Godzilla movies for, for a good amount of time as well. But yeah, Ultraman came back very strong. Yeah, I, I would say this one's, this one's up there. If, if, if our show ratings are important, it probably would be a full nine out of That's ten. That's why I gave them. I knew people would ask. But yeah, we did the same thing with Ultra Q. Ultra Q is up there as well and really good. Yeah. Both, both just, Seminal science fiction. And, you know, as we said, like, it's sometimes it's harder to find some of the general science fiction films of Japan from this era that weren't directed by Honda or produced by Toei. So it's really a, such a treat, even though this is Toho, not Toei, Toho, Toho adjacent, um, with Super Rai Productions. It's, it's still such a treat to be able to have the, the capability now to watch these in the best possible presentation. We're living, we're living in, in a good time to be a kaiju fan. So that, that, that'll do it for special episode Ultraman. I am glad that we did this, but I, I, I don't have the time to watch every single Ultraman episode right now. I wish I did. Oh, no, 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 no. I mean, I think, I think that, you know, with, with some planning, I think fans can definitely expect, uh, Ultra 7 on the horizon, right? <laughs> if they didn't put them out so close together, maybe. <laughs> yeah, cause I think it was 67 when Ultra 7 comes out. Like, I mean, this is, I mean, yeah, you, you get, you get, you get a lot of Ultraman. <laughs> <laughs> a lot bang for your buck uh right so what what's happening uh what are we doing next week and, and where can people find us miles all right so you can find us at kaiju versus history at gmail.com you can talk to us on twitter at kaiju versus history uh you can visit our website kaiju versus history.com rate and review our show comment show with friends let us know what you think we'd love to hear from other people about what your thoughts on specific movies or if you agree with us or if you didn't agree with us uh, thank you patrick as always, for going into Ultraman with me. Thank you, mm-hmm. listeners, for coming along this ride as well. And we'll catch you next time when we get a brother-on-brother grudge match. From director Ashira Honda, a conflict so massive it can only be contained on the silver screen. That's right. Tune in next time for History versus War of the Gargantuas.